Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Hello, hello. Make sure that this thing is on and you could hear me as long as it works. All right. You could hear me. You could see me. That is all that matters. So welcome, welcome. The viewer stuff is going like up and down. And so I'm thinking it's people being like, oh, it's time for church. And they sign on and they see it's that it's not Jay. And like, yep, I'm out. (laughs) See ya. (laughs) But it's okay. I understand. I understand. No harm, no foul. But I think we have a fun talk today. Um, it's a little weird, but I kind of, that's like my thing, right? How is everyone doing today? Happy Sunday. But can Sundays truly be happy if we have work starting up tomorrow? No, right? doesn't even feel like a weekend day. It's the worst. Hey, John. I'm excited that you're pumped. Thank you. I'm uh, I'm excited to, to talk. This one's going to be a fun one. It's uh has to do with, with these guys on my shirt. Oh, I would be a horrible weatherman. There we go. Not Simon and Garfunkel, who I do love, but see, we have Jason and Michael Myers. Oh my God, I would be a horrible weatherman. You know how they're always like pointing to stuff, but it's like backwards. So this is from a podcast that I love where they die. They just go through every movie. <laughs> and each episode is probably like three times longer than the movie is. And so it's great. So that inspired uh, my talk today. So <laughs> Steve, what up? How's it going? How are you? Happy to see you. trying to think if I've watched any musicals recently, but I have not. I don't really watch that many musicals except for the ones that we talk about. So I don't have anything new to contribute, but I'm always down to talk greatest hits. How is everybody? Black I Do you know I haven't seen that or the remake, but I need to. Black Christmas. Zoe said uh, Black Christmas because I was talking about horror movies. And um, yeah, I, I need to see that. Um, Especially because my brand of horror that I like is slasher movies, um, especially old school slasher movies. And so Black Christmas falls into that. I just watched I watched Halloween and I watched Scream while writing the talk. So it's a weird one. But I think it makes sense. I think you guys will be like, oh, that makes very much sense. Yeah. Yep. It's um. that's something I mean, I'll get into it in my talk that like. Halloween's not the first slasher, but it's seen as the one that, like, put everything, everything that works, like, put it together. Whereas other ones were, like, hit and miss. But as much as I love Halloween, there's a, um, a band of horror fans out there that think that Texas Chainsaw should get more recognition than it did because John Carpenter... It's not like he was breaking away from these film school nerds and doing his own thing because he was in film school like himself. Like, so he's to them, he's just one of those like manufactured people, whereas Texas Chainsaw was just a group of like freaks making a really scary movie. So and there's a sequel 
there's a sequel coming out in February to Texas Chainsaw on Netflix. It's going to be kind of like Halloween 2018, which I love. Halloween Kills did not love, but I'll have to revisit it. People tuning in, if you're like, why are they talking about horror movies? Just you wait. Just you wait. Sorry if I feel if I sound a little congested. Might not help my Long Island accent. It might amplify it, but hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? But anyone that likes horror movies and likes podcasts, I recommend with Gorley and Rust. So, they have um now they're just doing like a bunch of franchise franchises, but they had um the first season was in Voorhees we trust with Gorley and Rust and then in Myers we trust and I think in Kruger I don't like I like the strong silent types when it comes to my horror people. I don't like Freddy Krueger, I don't like Chucky, the the mouthy ones. The only talkative killer I could stand is a uh, ghost face, I guess. All right, so we'll give it a few more minutes and then we'll we'll kick this off and uh talk about Christianity and horror movies <laughs> and how they walk parallel lines to each other. I think you'll like it. I think you'll like the talk cuz it's not like like my faith is like Michael Myers or anything like that. Oh, you see my kitty cat? That's Nico. That's Nico in the corner. He's uh he's funny if you ever see him face on like uh and post on Instagram and stuff like that. He looks like uh Marty Feldman like cuz he has um a film over his eyes and so like that third eyelid that they have doesn't always close all the way so it looks like his eyes are pointing in different directions <laughs> so he looks like uh like steve buscemi or marty feldman so he's cute he's cute now because he's not annoying me otherwise uh drives me crazy horror movies are kind of like cartoons in the sense that they're a perfect vehicle to get out satire or thoughts that don't work in normal settings i just watched this movie called the hunt i'll recommend that to everybody it's a very funny movie it's like a horror action comedy it's a political satire in which like the like ultra elite left hunt like a bunch of deplorables, hence, like, uh, in the same vein of uh, Most Dangerous Game or Surviving the Game. But it's got, like, a twist because it's poking fun of everybody. It's uh, it's very, like, no one's safe in it. And it's very telling of, it's, like, very, it's, like, true. Like, it's hyper-exaggerated, but you're like, man, this is spot on. So my cats just ate, so they shouldn't, they shouldn't bug us. My, um, normally my wife, Kind of as the cat wrangler when I'm giving talks, whenever I have to give talks. And then, um, but she's not here right now. So every man for himself. Yes, it it is. It's, um, it might be on Hulu or HBO Max, depending on where you are. Um, it's very, it's very violent. Just, just so you know, but it's so over the top that it's not, it's like laugh that, that laughable violence. Cause it's just so intense. It's not like hyper realistic, but yeah, it is. It's a critique on cancel culture and self-righteousness and conspiracies and, um, like chicken and the egg syndrome. Like, did this conspiracy happen because it was there or did 
the thought of the conspiracy create the conspiracy, and so. Yeah, so he might be back, or he might go sleep on the couch, my cat, so. But The Hunt, yes, I recommend uh, required viewing for today's... Uh... <laughs> All right, so we waited about 10 minutes. So I guess we could dive right into this bad boy. So the talk today is basically... Um... Like, uh, <laughs> so we'll, um, we'll get into it a little bit, but the, um, I don't know if anybody here has like their go-to behaviors or things that they watch or listen to when they're depressed or in a funk or anxious for me, um, when I'm depressed or stressed, AKA all the time, um, I find that, like, I love horror movies. I love slasher movies from 70s and 80s when I'm depressed because they are, like, just a perfect, like, depressive watch. Like, if you, you don't want to pay attention to story, you need some sort of background stuff going on. Um, and there's that, that weird, like, catharsis that happens with, like, horror movies. But then you could still just be on your phone or whatever you want to do because you look at the screen, you're like, wait, who is this person again? Like, oh, it doesn't matter. They're going to die in like two seconds anyway. So it doesn't matter. So that's like my go-to um, when I'm really in it. And when I get into depressive states, I also get pretty obsessive about stuff. Hence, like I like binge watch Halloween, Friday 13th. I listen to the podcast, two seasons, one for Friday 13th, one for Halloween. Um, so that's kind of what got this ball in my head rolling. And just like a lot of the the birth of a lot of my talks is I have all these ideas just scattered. But I could see like the faintest thin line that goes um, close unused application. Sorry, I was just going to pop up. I think it's fine. Right. Um, so I get the like the thinnest of lines that go through all these thoughts that I have that kind of tell me like, no, they all they all are linked somehow. And so I just throw them all out on paper and then I just find that link and go through them. And so um, that's what happened to get us this um, talk today, which oh, see, look, I got my little Jason Voorhees cat and Robocop making a uh, <laughs> an appearance. So, um, so I, I can't say that I am having or ever did have a crisis of faith. I don't mean for that to sound like super like self-righteous or anything like that, but as Jay has talked about like that being haunted, right? By being haunted by God. Um I feel that for everything. So it's like no matter like I've gotten in some real low points in my life in terms of stuff that I've experienced and had to wade like just wade through and everything. Um but it doesn't ever seem to rock my faith too much because um, I'm just like too in it. Like I've just been, it's been my whole life. Um, and I just am too like certain of certain, like of certain aspects of it that I can't ever say it's a crisis of faith. Cause I, as much as I want to sometimes just like, screw this, I'm out. Like I'm a atheist. I'm an agnostic. Like in me, I just can't because I'm, I just, in a topic of something that we can't actually ever know, I feel like I know too much to walk away from it. Um, but for the 
I don't know, maybe close to 20 years, I have been in a almost perpetual state of deconstruction. And, um, and that's something that, uh, Jay talks about a lot that people will say, talk about deconstruction, but they will really kind of mean destruction or their deconstruction is just the church sucks and, um, church sucks and I hate it. They're all full of hypocrites and, but like life is full of hypocrites. That's not just part of the church. So there is a difference between reconstruction, a deconstruction and destruction. And so, um, an example of this that sticks out to me, um, is, so I do, um, graphic design and I work in an engineering firm in their marketing department. And we did this job, I don't know, close to 15 years ago on one of the bridges that goes over our parkways. Long Island parkways have a whole history unto themselves. It's not a very good history. There's a lot of racism and stuff, but people really cling to the historical stuff of the structures. So when they need to rehab these bridges because they're deteriorating, we have everybody on Long Island being like, no, the historical aspects, you can't touch it. And it's like, well, it's going to collapse and hurt people. So what they do is they literally deconstructed it stone by stone and they numbered the stone and made a corresponding grid. Like this stone goes there, this stone goes there, this, and they dismantled it stone by stone without breaking them. Then they re like they rehab and reconstructed everything so that it was stronger and won't fall and it will last. And then they put these stones back where they belong and blammo you have a like a stronger bridge that will last longer but you still preserved the important stuff of it because of um the deconstruction of it now you do that versus the tap and z bridge in upstate new york in which the bridge was so bad and so um dangerous that they just built a bridge next to it and they just blew up the, the other bridge that, you know, they implode it and it falls into the Hudson destroyed scrapped. That's it. There's no reconstructing it. They just built something new and just destroyed it. So that's like the difference between deconstructing something and just destroying it. And so <clears throat> in the, these thoughts of deconstruction, I started to, it started to occur to me that, um, everything that we know about the Bible and faith and Jesus and Paul are taught to us from the church. But the problem is if the church has it wrong or lost their way, then that's what we're getting taught. You know, we're, we're getting we're getting taught all the things that got lost in translation along the way. Uh, we're like, we're missing those also. So in that same vein of horror movies, like the call is coming from inside the house, right? So we're being taught all this stuff, but we're just being taught the broken version of it. And so as I, as I said that I, um, when I'm depressed, I, I have my go-to things and that's my horror movies. 
and so I was watching the Halloween franchise and I watched the um, Friday the 13th franchise and on Netflix they have um what's it uh the movies that made us and this season they do Halloween they do Friday the 13th um this podcast I listened to kind of broke it all down and then I I found this something that happened in the genre of horror movies and it just struck me that this is the same path that happened with Christianity as a whole. And this is kind of where we're at now. So this is where we get to dive into some fun horror movie talk. So in 1978, Halloween comes out, right? The original Halloween. And it's um, it kind of it like paves the way for slasher movies. Uh, Zoe brought up, they brought up um, Black Christmas. And so there were horror movies and slasher movies that came out before Halloween. But Halloween kind of got everything right. And it just made something of itself that those other movies couldn't do. Um, and the agenda for the movie was very simple. They wanted it to be in the vein of old like radio broadcasts in which you were just given like the bare minimum of explanation of what's going on. And then your mind was filling in all the blanks. That's where we get um, the same premise in psycho, the shower scene. Um, if you talk to people that have saw it in theaters, when it first came out, they could swear up and down that they saw the bright, vivid red blood and how shocking it was. But the movie was never colorized. It was never shot in color. You never see the knife going in all, like all these things that your mind is filling in the gaps. And so that's what happens with Halloween. They wanted it to be all atmosphere and nuance and then leave everything on the viewer to fill in all the gaps. And that's why there's hardly any blood in it. There's no gore. There's no anything. It's just they, you know, one of the documentaries say how they bring your attention to the right and then the attack comes from the left and it's, if you've seen the movie, you, you'll recognize that with the camera movement movements and there's some really hard, like scary, scary stuff, but there's no gore, no violence or anything. So years later, maybe I want to say two years later, Friday the 13th comes out and it was created with one goal and that was to rip off Halloween because Halloween did so well that they wanted a piece of that. And so um, they were inspired by it, but they also wanted to cash in on this. And so they studied it and they came up with a formula and they're like, oh, okay, this is easy. I watched Halloween a bunch. I know you just isolate the teens, pick them off one by one, and you punish them for having drugs and being naked and having sex. And that's why Friday the 13th, is just basically it was written as just like a series of deaths that happen. And then they're in editing, like we'll figure out a story to go. The story doesn't matter. It's just about killing them. And that's, that's all we have to do. That's what Halloween did. But they said, what did Halloween not have that we will have? And that is blood. And that is gore. And, um, so they make, this super violent bloody movie with gore that was not in the, uh, in Halloween. 
and that was their selling point. And then it becomes super successful and it um, inspires all these sequels, right? And all these other horror movies that are inspired by Friday the 13th now. So, Halloween 2 is being made because there's such a demand for a sequel. People want to know what happens with Laurie, what happens with Michael Myers. And so, they start making Halloween 2, and they make it in the same vein as Halloween 1. Um, And they're just going off of all the principles that they had in the first movie. You know, we'll leave it up to the people's imagination. It won't be that gory. And then they're looking at the the dailies and and they're like, no, 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 this is not this is not right. What the the trend in horror movies now is gore and violence. We need to up this to meet that. We need to become like Friday the Thirteenth if people we want people to see this movie. And so they do rewrites and reshoots and they add all this blood and gore and all these gnarly kills in it. But the the movie and the franchise as a whole suffer from this because that's the way that it progresses from there on getting worse and worse and worse and worse. <clears throat> and so um, the, where that comes in is that, um, you know, someone looked at Halloween's, the movie and they came up with all these projections in it. Like, Okay, only the chaste girls survive. Anybody doing drugs and they're punished for it. Um, But when you talk to, like, when you read um, an interview with John Carpenter, he was like, no, that wasn't the thought of it. We just knew that these kids would never fall victim if they, unless they were distracted. So when you're a kid, like when you're a teenager, what distracts you? Weed distracts you, sex distracts you, drinking distracts you. And so... The only reason Lori survives is because she's vigilant, but it's not because she's like, no, I don't do that stuff. It's because she's a responsible babysitter, and so she can't get too high. She smokes a little bit in the car, but she can't get too high. She can't get drunk. She doesn't have boys over because she's just babysitting and doing her job. But the Friday the 13th franchise totally misconstrued that, and they they, they projected all these things uh, onto it. And... You might be asking, like, I don't follow the connection, but what what occurred to me is that Friday the 13th was inspired by Halloween. Then using its misconceptions of Halloween becomes massive, so much so that it then affects the original thing that inspired it and then derails that into something that it's not. And so um, that's how I look at Christianity as a whole. We were given something through Jesus, through Paul and everything that was so pure and simple and great. But then people start to misconstrue it and Christianity kept like gaining momentum and getting bigger and getting bigger. And then all of a sudden outside forces got involved, such as like a conservative mindset and everything. And it bastardized the message so much that Christianity, which was pure Halloween 1978, now becomes this totally different thing that it was never intended to be 
all because they it got modeled after um the wrong inspirations i don't does this make sense to anybody but me i don't know it's like it's so clear in my mind but i know i'm probably not explaining it that well but just basically what what it inspired in turn inspired it incorrectly and then it just all went off the rails but now what is horror movies now horror movies are all gore and blood and uh, gratuitous nudity torture and um but it's all stemming from this holy grail of horror that had none of that in it, but it allowed itself to get corrupted by its creation, right? And that's sort of what happened with the church. Um, <laughs> so, um, and so that makes me wonder now, like, um, so in my deconstruction mind mindset, when I came to this realization, I'm like, well, what can I trust now? Because everything that I learned were from the people that learned it from the people that learned it from the people. And so by the time we're learning it, it's already been so derailed off the rails that it's just getting modeled after Friday the 13th. And then that's spinning off into scream and it's getting modeled after scream. So like, what are we getting by the time we're learning in church? Like, I don't think the church is, is lying. I don't, I don't think it's lying to you. I don't think that on the level that we engage with it, I don't think there's ulterior motives or anything like that. I think these pastors and, um, priests and everything, they're sincere in what they believe, except what they learned was already derailed before they learned it. And so it's just a vicious cycle, but that's what, that's where, um, deconstruction comes into play. And um, because to me, deconstruction allows for more engagement, right? We, we could dive in more and we stand a chance, like more of a chance to be changed by what we're learning rather than um, if we don't deconstruct, if we just accept it for face value, which seems to be the way church and Christianity kind of want us to be, right? They want us to just... This is what the church says. This is what the pastor says. You don't need to think about anything. We did the thinking for you, and this is the answer. And so if you really dive in, then you'll get more of an understanding. You're actually engaged more with it, even though the term deconstruction makes you feel like you're doing something bad or you're backsliding or whatever stupid words they use. But it's actually you're diving in more. And so... um because that that's what happens a lot um, is we'll learn something about ourselves or we'll be in church and we'll learn um, a good talk, a good sermon. We're like, wow. And we might feel moved by it and it might make us think. But if we don't engage with it anymore and then we just get into the parking lot and leave or we log off the computer and go about our day, it doesn't matter if it moved us in the moment because – there, nothing's coming from it. And so we have to put action to this change and to this movement and clarity that we've had. And um, so, you know, I, um, for a while now, I've been going to therapy to help um, just straighten my mind out a little bit. As you guys can probably tell, besides any honesty that I engage with you, just the way my mind works. You could see that it's scattered and all over the place. 
um, normally, because I am so kind of sadly uh, well-versed in depression, I know when I'm starting to look into the abyss, I see certain telltale signs like my obsessive thinking of things and hyper-focus into something, whether it's um, whether it's Bruce Springsteen, who apparently, according to Spotify, I was in the 0.05% of listeners, like... So, or if it's horror movies in which I just devour everything that I could find, um, I get very obsessive with things. And um, my therapist was saying how the, this is like anxious thinking. That's why when I go to bed, I'm starting to think like, oh, I don't have lunch for tomorrow. Okay, so if I go to the deli, then I could actually take this road and then this road. And there's only th- like I'm planning out my lunch like before I even go to bed, like, and, and how I'm going to get there and what I'm going to order. It just, it's just, um, it comes from anxiety and trying to find control in things. And one of the obsessive things that I was doing was I was, it wasn't out of paranoia. It was just out of like rhetoric. I was, every time I would get up to go to the bathroom, which as I'm getting older, I'm uh, very close to 40. It's happening more and more that I have to get up and go to the bathroom uh, when I'm trying to go to sleep. And every time I would have to check all the doors to make sure they're locked. And then if it was a particularly anxious day, I would have a thing of, oh, what if when I checked the door to see if it was locked, I accidentally unlocked it by wiggling the handle or pressing the lever and and just got really bad. And the reason that I'm bringing this up is because when my therapist explained to me that it was like this anxious thinking... And that the only way around it is to not do it, to just like trust in, for this example, just trust that when you lock the door, that it is locked. Like, you know, you locked it. And so you don't have to keep checking it. And so um, if I was to just come home that day and be like, hey, babe, I learned something at therapy that I have anxious thoughts. And that's why I, I obsessively lock the doors. But then if I continue to do that, I didn't really learn anything. It didn't change me. I didn't do anything. I have to put action to that. And it's not always easy. It's when I go um, to the bathroom at night, I have to tell myself, like, no, you know you lock the doors. You know you lock. Like, I have to actively become this change. And so um, that's what happens with lessons that we learn in the Bible or through a particularly great thought. Um you know, when Paul talks about love and grace and Jesus talks about um, turning the other cheek and not being an eye for an eye, none of that stuff is our natural state of being, right? Our natural state is if someone screws us over, we're angry and bitter about it and we kind of want something bad to happen to them. Um, If someone disagrees with us, Politically or on a movie, I was just telling Jay, and I hope I don't derail this. I was once at a Christmas party and literally the whole party stopped talking to me and my wife because we do not believe that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It's fun to watch at Christmas, but it's not a Christmas movie. And like, and so their natural state was to just not talk to us. And then my natural state was like, well, screw them. Like, I don't even barely know these people anyways. Like, so like our natural state is not what's taught in the Bible, because if it was, it would not have to be taught to us. But then we kind of get it um, 
on our shoulders a little bit like no these this is what you have to learn and this is what we should strive to be but it takes more than just oh i want to be like that is um like in like if you want to be like that you have to actively work towards it so it's kind of a fake it until you make it and so you might think of um that you're not being sincere or or something but that's not always the case. It, just like everything else, a musical instrument, um, I think Plato or Aristotle or something talked about like being a good person is a practice, kind of like playing the flute. Um, and so that's same with this stuff. If we want to be good, if we want to change, if we want to show grace to each other, like we're learning from Jay and in Revolution, we that's not just going to be enough. It's not going to be, Jay's not going to say you need to show grace to people. And then all of a sudden we see someone on the other side of the, our political thoughts and go, no, you get my grace. What it is going to be is, Oh, I like, I want to like scream. I can't stand this person. How can they think that? But no, like, all right, that doesn't matter what they, what they believe, what they're thinking doesn't matter because they're not, the other there is no other like you know we have to actively do that um i am i will i promise i'll get to this um there's some good insight and some pushback that i'm i'm glad to discuss for sure um because again this is just my my thoughts and observations but um to to touch on it zoe wrote they said that um they're not sure if what i'm saying is our natural state um, I believe it is, um, just through observation of myself and, and others. But again, that's just my, my opinion and we'll discuss it more. Um, so as you could tell, maybe here a little bit, I've been fighting a bit of a head cold here and there. And so, um, I took me uh, cold medicine the other day, like kind of late at night, but I was still awake when it was starting to kick in and, you know, you get that kind of loopy, like your thoughts are just all over the place, half awake, half sleep. Um, and I was watching Home Alone 2 and I had this really funny observation. And it's to set the premise of getting Kevin to New York is he's chasing a man that he thinks is his dad, but it's not. Um, and he bumps into a girl with all the boarding passes comic ensues where they all go and everything gets mixed together and it's assumed that his is in there and he gets on the plane flies to new york right funny stuff but the observation in my cold medicine uh state of mind is that i'm just thinking um of this ticket lady because um i'm a big fan of raymond carver his short stories and something that really intrigues me about him is he always kind of tells the story after the story happened. Um, so for example, in, um, what we talk about, what we talk about when we talk about love, that collection of short stories, the first one is these people stumble upon a man with all his possessions out on the front lawn and he is selling them. But that's where that story takes place and that's the whole story of it is interactions with this man 
but we don't know why they're out there. We don't know what kind of fight maybe he got in with his wife. We don't know anything. It's just the story after the story. So I kind of start to think like that because I'm so inspired by him. So you mix in this cold medicine funk and I'm just thinking of this ticket lady in um, Home Alone 2 and how she's going to be annoyed at what happened and then she's going to go home. She'll be like, oh, this guy, this little kid bumped into me. He was, he was a menace. And like, that's it. She has no idea that this kid is on the wrong plane. She has no idea and she'll never know that he goes to Florida, that he's like living off his dad's credit card. He's getting chased by two bandits that he beat last Christmas, that he's befriending this crazy pigeon lady. She doesn't know anything. The only people that know the whole story would be Kevin and when he tells his family of stuff that happened. And so I'm starting to think like, I was like, that's kind of like us when it comes to the Bible and Christianity. Like we don't have, we only have like the scrambled boarding passes, uh, in our, in our lives. Um, and then we just kind of like, well, that's, that's, we get that little fraction, you know, this, 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 this little fraction of boarding passes and we don't know anything that came before it. We don't know anything that's coming after it. We don't know the truth, the true story behind it. And so we could just kind of extrapolate the best we can. And, um, and so the one thing that the Bible says is that the, um, that scripture is a living thing, which I do. I, I believe like, I know that sounds like cheesy and all that stuff, but, um, uh, not to sound even cheesier, but most writing is like that music's like that movies are like that. And, um, the Bible certainly is like that in which you read the story of the, you know, the, um, the prodigal son. And when you're younger, you're like, yeah, no, the son is, yeah. Like he's, I get it. I understand want to break away. And then you get older and then you you identify with the other son who stayed and it's like, well, why am I getting screwed over? I've been here. And then you understand as you get older still about the dad's point of view. Um, you know, I had a similar thing. If we're talking about movies, when you're young, you're watching an American tale and five old Mouskowitz, you're like, you get it. And then you're older and you're watching like, if you just listened to your parents, none of this would have happened. Everybody would have been safe. Like why <laughs> didn't you just listen to your parents? Right? So our views change. And so the Bible is always living and breathing. But another thing that that scripture talks about is that it's like sharp and it separates bone from marrow. Other translations might say bone from the joint, but like that's the sharpness of scripture that we're talking about. And um, so to me, that's sort of what we have to try to be like. We have to try to separate Halloween from Friday the 13th. You know, like we have to find the Halloween 1978 of it and lose all of the Friday the 13th and all the scream and all the Hellraiser, like everything that, that kind of lost sight, lost sight, lost sight, lost sight along the way. And, um, one way that, um, I, I do it is, um, Jay, I believe last talk mentioned about the red letters and the black letters. Um, you know, I have a, a red, um, a red letter, translation so you get two things like uh matthew and um it's it's like mostly red letters um i am a sucker for for jesus movies especially if there's they're good and there's one um 
called The Chosen, and it's like a series. It's like a mini series. It's actually very good. I avoided it for a long time because I associate uh, truth confession. I associate Christian artistry with not being good, and I was wrong with this. But one take that they had um, was uh, that um, maybe Matthew was uh, either had like Aspergers or was autistic in some way, um, and that's why his he's so meticulous, and also why he would have been chosen to be a tax collector. I thought that was interesting because. Matthew above, I think all of the gospels is like all red letters, but red letters versus black letters. And I think a lot of times a church will focus on the red letters because that's what Jesus said. Like, how can you deny this is what Jesus said? But to me, black lettering is all that much more important because just with our lives, um, what people say only goes so far if their actions don't line up with it. So for me, if someone's ever like um, pointing out, well, Jesus says this, you know, he says they're religious. People are They're like snakes. They're like a brood of snakes. But then if the black letters are saying that he still met with Nicodemus and still explained to him and still comforted him, that takes precedent over what he said, because that's what his action is. So if the, the red letters and black letters don't ever match up, the actions speak more than the red letters. Um, and that's why with, you know, uh, even though Paul doesn't get red letters, but the um, he gets his letters read. Oh, hi. Oh, um, no. <laughs> but uh, Paul doesn't get red letters. But like in uh, Galatians, he um, He's talking about there, like no Jew nor Gentile, no division, no anything, right? That's that's he's he's saying, and then um, but what we get when it goes through the Friday the Thirteenth filter is there's denominations, and then there's subsects of denominations, and um, you know there's sheep's and goats and everything like that. And so that's what we get. Um, you know the the red letters say how God loves us unconditionally. But then <laughs> God loves us unconditionally as long as we meet certain conditions for it. You know, like, so the that stuff doesn't match up. And so um, before I wrap this up, I will share with you some of my current deconstructions that I'm wrestling with. And um, again, I do this. Um, I'm never trying to do any sort of like um, shock value or anything. This is like generally what I am I'm trying to consider. And my biggest thing and Jay touched on it last week a little bit is like, what is sin? You know, Jay said it's living the lack, right? That's like what we used to fill in, um, the lack of God. And, um, and so for me, that makes more sense because like, like what is sin? This is what I don't get because, Again, the red letters and black letters are not really lining up for me because, um, like, was Jesus sinless? And I'm not trying to provoke anything. I'm really wondering because we'll have scriptures that get taught that he was tempted in all the ways that we were tempted, which it sounds good on paper. I certainly you'd have to boil down some stuff to its core essentials that he's getting tempted by something I'm tempted by in 2021 you know like the things are a little bit um different but um 
but like, so what is sin? Like, because is, if sin is, if it's a sin to offend somebody, clearly Jesus did that. He offended the, the, um, the Pharisees and religious people. He offended Rome, but like, but he was sinless. So, so is offending people not a sin, but that's not what we're ter like, um, told. And if I was to talk to Zoe or John, the way that Jesus talked to people that he didn't like, if I was like, you are a dog, you don't even deserve the scraps off my table. People would be like, dude, like, what the hell? Like, what are you doing? Like, apologize. And it would be kind of like a sinful way of speaking, but that's how Jesus spoke. But of course, the black lettering did not line up with that red lettering. So we trust the black lettering. Um, and so, so if we're taught also that like, if you hate somebody, that's as good as murdering them because you thought it. But then how can you get tempted with something without thinking it? You know, like, so how is Jesus, like, sinless if he um, had temptations and these thoughts and said these harsh words? Like, and now, um, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to poke holes in it. Because for me, I um, I believe, as everyone knows, um, in terms of, like... I'm certainly not conservative in any ways, but traditional, maybe that's the thing. Like in a more traditional sense, like I do believe that Jesus is who he said he is and he accomplished what he meant to accomplish. Whether there's a hell, I don't care. I don't think so because I'm a flawed human being and I would not want anyone to suffer for all of eternity and I should not be capable of love that God is not capable of. So I don't believe in a hell. Um, also, then you get into like a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. And so if we live to be 70, like what's 70 years out of a thousand, if a thousand years is like a day, we get like, so basically in God's eyes, if you don't learn in these 45 seconds, like um, the Bible says that um, God who like Jesus, who knew no sin came down and, you know, became a man and so that's what I'm toying with is like, no, maybe we're misreading that. Maybe like at the place he was before he became human, he knew no sin, but then he came down and he lived a human life because, um, you know, people, um, compare him to like a blemishless sacrifice that like the Jewish people had to offer in the old Testament. Um, but all that is talking about would be cosmetics, right? Like there's no, they're a pure looking animal because to my understanding, an animal can't sin. It doesn't have a sinful nature and all of nature is it's beautiful, but it's pretty horrible because in nature they pick off. They like, if you're hungry, you go for the weakest and you go for the children and you try to kill them. If you could kill them while they're sleeping and their back is turned more power to you, right? That's like the way nature works. And, um, but in that sense, if if animals can't sin, then any animal would be good for atoning sacrifice because they would all be blameless and sinless. So I think there's something there. I'm not sure. That's something I'm working with. Um, I don't mean this in any way to belittle Jesus or what he accomplished. I just think it's beyond our understanding of it. And so that's what I'm trying to get away from the Friday the 13th of it and focus on the Halloween <laughs> aspect of it. Um, you know, like, cause the, you know, Bible says for all have sinned and Jesus was born of Mary. Right. So like, 
so is he does not have sin because only male blood gets like passes down sin like it just doesn't really um make sense to me and my uh, you know one of my grandfathers i was not very close with and we would always butt heads um with uh things of the bible because he was my grandfather so he always felt that he had to know more and not listen to anything i said and he was trying to tell me that sin was um passed down through the mail and that's why he had to have a virgin mother and all this stuff but to me that's just christianity's looking to logically answer the illogical but in by doing so then it proves that it's not a miracle and it's not faith because if you could prove it it is not that right can god create a rock so heavy that he himself can't lift it if he could lift it then it opens a whole other can of worms so because the bible says faith is the substance of all things hoped for and not seen and we learn from the black letters in the bible that um seeing does nothing you know uh moses uh, they all saw um miracles in the desert it did nothing to them because once moses was gone for like a few days they made golden calves and were worshiping false gods and when um elijah performed miracles and then they're like oh jezebel's out for you and he's like oh there is no god i hate my life which, you know, we all could um, relate to. Uh, the disciples, how many miracles did they see and do and still were like, that's, he's not raised from the dead. Like, what are you talking about? So, um, so there is, faith will always mean more to us than seeing things with our eyes. And so um, I disagree with the church trying to make the logical, illogical, logical. So, um, and then, so, um you know, we'll wrap up and then we'll engage. I have to read some of these comments because some of them are looking really good. But I will say that um, mainly to not be scared of deconstruction in your own life. It does not have to be this intense at all. I don't claim to be better than anybody. I But it is, it does go without, like, to me it goes without saying that. I've been deconstructing for like almost 20 years. So it's natural that at this stage in my life, deconstruction would be this, this heavy, but I don't want it to scare anybody off because you could deconstruct on the smallest level. For example, if you hear something from a talk, Jay gives a great talk about um, grace or, or forgiveness or something like that. And you could deconstruct that talk and figure out like why that talk moved you and then in deconstructing just that tidbit of why that talk moved you, you might be able to find a way to put action to that so that you can actually be changed from that talk. And it's not easy. I saw that as a, in a, in the chat, it's not easy. Um, but you know, the red letters and the black letters do kind of, um, agree that this is not an easy path. For us and i think that a lot of churches and christians try to make it an easy path but it is not um but we can um deconstruct even in that way of just finding a way to put action to something that moves us and um and then in doing so <laughs> we can learn to further separate you know friday the 13th from halloween 1978 and slice that barrel the the mo bone from the marrow. So that is uh, 
my talk today, my horror-filled uh, rants. Um, so let's go. Um, let's go read some of these. Um, let's go up to. I keep thinking of Jesus and John Wayne. So um, this is from John. Currently, American evangelism has been in a large part inspired by the trends in sales of Christian media and the driving forces of political pundits. Yes, thank you. Uh, Chris, uh, Kristen in Dumez's book, John and uh, Jesus and John Wayne shed so my, much light on this. I do agree. I That's, that's part of my um, Friday the 13th, like thinking is that um especially in America I can't speak for Christianity as a whole but uh American politics actually formed the church's stance on a lot of things rather than the church's like you know they claim that oh we're Christians we believe in God and that's where our stance comes from but it actually is the other way around the church is so influenced by the politics um that it takes conservative standpoints rather than biblical ones um because no place, not one person or thing or location in the Bible has anything to do with America. So, um, so Zoe said, I'm not sure. Oh, this is when I was talking about our natural state being that, um, more kind of like on the, I don't, I forget how I said it, but kind of more like petty and reactive and everything. Zoe said, I'm not sure if that is our natural state. Um, is it our natural state or are we socialized to be that way? Are Jesus teachings because we are, are opposite to it or are we more like blank slates who need good teaching and demonstration instead of bad? Yes. Like, uh, that is something like a chicken and the egg thing is something I am deconstructing a lot in my mind. You know, Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies, but also being studied in, um, the Torah and old Testament, he would have known of these prophecies. So, <laughs> Did he fulfill them because he knew them or were they written because he was going to fulfill them? Um, John said, um, maybe it's both. And it's very possible. I think everything in the world is a gray area and not hardly anything is black and white. Uh, Linda said, it's not easy to do, but she's trying. Yeah, that's, it is not easy. John said, art is a living thing. I'm going to be stuck on that for weeks. It very much is. Zoe said, Matthew as autistic is an amazing idea. I'm going to chase that thought down for a while. Thanks for the nugget. Yes. Um, I, you know, I do tend to stay away from Christian stuff and any, even like Christian music that I like, they're usually believers in a rock band, not a Christian band, but the show is called the chosen and it is, um, it's good. It's very good. There's some things that are a little ham fisted, some things that are a little wonky, but overall it's a, uh, it's very good and refreshing. Um, this is fab Josh. Thanks for this. No problem. Um, we, we kind of all use Jesus offending people as an excuse to be a jerk. Don't we? Yes, we do. Weaponizing it, right? Zoe said, I think maybe Jesus was just a jerk sometimes. He was human. Yes. Calling a Gentile woman in need a dog is racist. He was raised in his tradition land, uh, land being occupied by Romans. Maybe he had anger towards Gentiles. I could definitely see that. It would make sense. I think if we let ourselves read Jesus as a human with real human struggles, um, it makes more sense sometimes. And I agree. I, um, 
you know, a few weeks back, I gave a talk that maybe Jesus went to India and learned um, some Buddhist teachings and interactions like this make me believe that he did because just like Zoe was saying about the blank slate is Jesus was raised in a certain way and that comes out. And then afterwards, after the red letters come out, then the black letters of actions back. No, like, come on, you're better than this. You learned better than this. You're meant for more than this. Not to sound like that weird Christian song. Um, but like you're called to be bigger than this and better than this. And so that's what um, he then puts into action. Um, Chris said, I stopped believing in hell when I first held my son. Yes. I knew that he could never do anything that would make me want to sometimes. I don't believe God would do that. Exactly. A hundred percent. Um, Zoe said like Malcolm X, who was nasty about not allowing white allies to join movement, but later changed his methods. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Steve said, this is a great new perspective. Thanks, Joshua. You made me want to watch some of these films. Um, so I said, this is good stuff, Joshua. These are kind of convos on a Sunday morning. It's a fabulous idea. Yeah. That's what, that's why I love. Uh, this is, this is the church. I know it's a gathering, but in theory, this is the kind of church that I am. I look for Like I like meat and potatoes. I want to talk philosophy. I want to be challenged. I want to kick around ideas, but also it's safe enough that I could bet guys. I watched uh, home alone, too while tripping out a little bit on cough medicine so let me uh tell you my theory and everyone's like i like it steve says when you talk about the church in quotation i wonder if that doesn't make the church a monolithic entity Ooh, when there are a lot of diversity in church the church universal or when you say the church to whom exactly so what i guess um who am i referring to? like I don't really want to talk in any sense of absolutes when I say the church. Um, and I know that kind of is kind of puts everything in that basket and I don't mean for it to be like that. Um, for me, um, I'm just, uh, how do I, I don't really know how to explain this because that's a very good point. Um, because when I, I guess for me, I'm talking more about, American, uh, Christianity and, um, how the church is, has a lot of these conservative stances. Um, for me, I grew up in a conservative church, uh, as Presbyterian. Then when I went to college, it was a Christian missionary Alliance. You know, I, I've been to vineyard churches. I've been to Baptist churches. I've been to Episcopal churches. I've been, uh, was that, a Johnny Cash? I've been everywhere, man. Um, but it's just, um, to me, it's all the same. Like, I don't, you know, everybody's like, oh, our church is different. But, but is it, <laughs> is it like, can I walk in in shirts and a t-shirt and truly feel welcome? And some churches are like that. But then what I found with churches like that, the message is um, not appealing to me because it's, it's, um, all right, this is going to sound arrogant, and I really, really don't mean for it to be. But as we – we will never understand things, right? But we gain more and more, if not understanding, but um, we learn different ways to look at things and dissect and deconstruct. But along our way, just like growing up, we needed – you know, you get baby food first. Well, you get milk first, right? Then you get baby food, and then you get like um, – 
macaroni and noodles that you could eat by hand. And then you get, um, then you start to be able to get more solid foods and bigger. And then you grow up and you get meat and potatoes and Big Macs and uh, everything. So, so um, you know, if a church is on the more inclusive side um, and they allow everybody, they usually, the message is geared more in the, the growing stages, right. To kind of help people feel included. And so it's like, it's like softer foods to get them more acclimated and understanding because a lot of people, they don't have our understanding of, of church and the Bible. You know, they haven't been, you know, I went to, to college for it. I've been studying it like my whole life, even before college, you know, I'm 38 now. So I have a whole lifetime of this stuff. So, you know, if I go with to a church with my wife, like what she needs is going to be more different than what I need. And frankly, what like someone that didn't grow up in the church, what they need is going to be more important than, than what I need because I have my base. I have my knowledge enough that my foundation is built on like rock and not sand. And, but I had to learn all that stuff and go through all that, those learning stages. So that's where I struggle. And so I get so much out of these talks and this sort of more like Christian philosophy type, uh, discussions. I forgot what I was saying, but yeah, but, um, Oh, so what am I talking about when I'm referring to the church is kind of maybe stereotypical church, stereotypical Christians, which, um, uh, you know, I hate the word stereotype, um, but it encompasses a lot of the way we're taught. And uh, yeah, that's a very good question. I don't know. It's like, I know who I'm referring to and what I mean, but I don't, I can't like vocalize it too well. So, um, yeah, and I don't mean to, to knock church. You know, if, if someone was to explain to me like, oh no, I'm going to go to church. I'm like, do it, like, go for it. Like, I'm not. I'm not trying to bring them into my area of deconstruction of like, no, don't do that. Why would you do that? Because church does help people. And, um, and that's really what it comes down to, you know, but also I am someone when like, Oh, I can't believe this happened. They were a Christian. I can't believe the pastor did that. I'm just kind of like, well, that's, that's kind of what happens. <laughs> you know, when you peek, when you peek behind the curtain and you see all the strings and levers and everything like that, then you, you kind of, can't go back right so sorry that was a bit of a ramble but um yeah once in a while um john said once in a while i do meet christians who defy the stereotypes those individuals give me hope yeah and um a lot of times uh they it's like just because like they get it right they they um Uh, it's like, I don't know, like they, they understand like the, the more truer nature of it, right? They see more, more Halloween than they do Friday the 13th and they, um, and that's what they focus on. They don't focus on saving souls or, um, or anything like that. They just focus on interactions and being in the moment and being with people with no agenda. And that's really where, what it comes down to. It's worth thinking about what or whom you're referring to as the church. That, that is something I will definitely be um, kicking around in my brain for sure. Um, there certainly is no easy answer, but it's um, it's really just trying to figure a way to vocalize 
who I'm thinking of because I have a very clear picture in my head. And even when I try to explain that, it just does not come out. There's just something that's not translating out. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's good because it makes us not um, lump uh, people in t- together where they shouldn't be. You know, I, I really don't want to take shots at at the church or anything like that. Uh, sometimes I do because um, petty and I need to be better at not doing that and making putting action to it and making it actually stick. But but this uh this was great uh discussion and some uh great questions, some some good uh pushback. I do like the 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 pushback. I know people sometimes veer away from it, but it's just like that engages me now. It it shows me what I have to think on and focus on. I think that's uh that's exciting to me. That's really exciting. So I hope this made sense. Um, it seems like some of it did. I know, um, when I had it all written out, it made sense. And then as I'm talking, like, is the, in my head, I'm just like, is this making any sense when I'm comparing, you know, Christianity to Halloween and the, the path that it took to the, the Friday the 13th and its sequels. But I hope that it made sense. And, uh, I hope when I'm editing this to post it, I don't cringe. I like, what the hell was I thinking? Um, but I was, I'm very glad to have been able to talk it out because it has been stuck in my mind for a while. And so it's, it felt very good to get it out and, and bring life to it. So, um, thank you. Thank you. They, uh, Zoe, they said it made sense. So thank you. Um, John said, I see it as a dominant, oh, for the church, I see it as the dominant establishment. You can really tell people, uh, tell the people who have been, who have bought in, oh, sorry. Um, so when talking about the church, John said, I see it as the dominant establishment. You can really tell the people who have bought in, I need to work at not stereotyping on this. This is a huge reason why I'm part of this collective. Very true. I agree wholeheartedly that's a that's great i um i i know that um for me i need to i've been so hurt by christianity and quote unquote the church and that it's hard for me to not lump it all together and uh into one stereotype that i'm like this sucks and avoid it forever so but i'm very glad that this talk made sense and um Next time you're uh, watching <laughs> Home Alone 2 and you see that woman drop all the boarding passes, maybe <laughs> may you think of God. No, just joking. Um, so, yes, thank you um, very much. And so uh, I should probably um, end it. Thank you for tuning in. Um, we redid the website. So um, if you go to the website, which is just should be revolutionchurch.com it makes it a lot easier to donate if you would like it's a lot more streamlined and and updated since the church has undergone some changes in location and style and name again i said church when it's uh, a gathering right now so um if you want to donate that certainly does help um we really do appreciate it um 
you know, it's it's kind of been said in in Revolution, and it still stands. Like we much prefer the people over the money. Like that's not if ever had having a choice. Obviously, we would choose the um, choose the people, but we do need money to function. Um, <laughs> yes, we we uh, we take PayPal. We might try to figure out ways to to do um, more. I'm trying to think of ways to also um raise raise money in a, an en- uh, an engaging way like for example one thing i'm trying to think of is um having some sort of like patreon in which you're um you know if you some people when they um want to donate um donating is enough and that's great like that's awesome some people even though it's a donation would love something for it so a patreon could be kind of cool in which there might be different tiers i do that for some podcasts um and it makes it a a bit more interactive right um than rather just um giving money so i have ideas but yes if you could give that would be great um to my understanding i do believe jay will be back uh next week um this was just one you know as you know jay got back from vacation and he is not like me in which when I get back from vacation, I also pad like a day or two to unwind from my vacation. He hits the ground running and then um, sometimes it just um, too much to to uh, catch up on and still prepare a talk. So um, he asked if I would give this one. And so everything is, is good with him in case people were wondering or nervous. It was just um, taking care of things. So, well. Um, <laughs> so said, let's pay Jay's salary. It is Christmas. He has toys to buy for his kiddos. Um, but yeah, thank you. Anyone that wants to give, uh, we really do appreciate it. So thank you very much. I will see everybody around, whether it be in social media on Instagram or in chat or, um, comment section. So thank you guys very, very much. And, um, we will talk soon. I hope everyone has a great day, a great Sunday. And um, we will talk later. Thank you for hanging out. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.